preparing to decide your 2024 run plans, how to structure your racing season, or maybe you're training for a race that you don't really know the right way to structure your peak week, your taper, or really your race morning and race plan. Do you have general run and training questions? Coaching consults with Coach Sarah are now available. These consults are either 30 or 60 minutes just for you. I will will review your training plan, any questions that you have, give you guidance, pre-race strategy calls, race debriefing, goal setting, and more. 2024 is the year of you elevated. You can book now on Calendly.com forward slash elevate your running. Let's crush 2024 together. Hello, everyone. It's episode 105 of the Elevate Your Running podcast. My name is Sarah Manderscheid. My co-host is Austin Myers. And today I'm recording solo. And I'm really excited for this conversation because I'm recording on a Sunday. I did that uh, intentionally, but also um, schedule work schedules, coaching schedules, which is work, life. It's all kind of like creating this really great uh, time for me to record on Sunday afternoon. And we are coming off of just hours ago, the Houston Marathon race morning. Now, this was also included the half marathon. I think if whether you know this or not, I love Houston race weekend. I absolutely love it. I have ran the half marathon three times now in 2020, 2022, and 2023. I was an ambassador for the race for two years. I think the Houston running community is a very special community. I felt, I've always felt very welcomed when I've gone to Houston to race. And I've also raced a 10K there coming off of the heels of uh, the Chicago Marathon in 2022. That was with Lululemon. The community is so strong and it's so fun to be part of it. And then when you get this amazing race weekend that also includes a fast course, it's a well-organized race too, which is a huge piece, I think, to just feeling confident and feeling good on race day. And there's just so many wins that can be uh, found through race weekend. So we're coming off the heels of it. Um, It was a very fast day for many people. Um, If you're watching this on video, which we now are adding video on Spotify, the video should be on Spotify. I know Austin and I are still kind of working out some kinks. Um, I might look tired and that's because I could not sleep last night. I was so excited. I was excited for my coach who was running and she's three weeks out from the Olympic trials. She was or is coming back from an injury last summer. So this was her first race. And I was really excited to see what she could produce. And then also I was coaching four Elevate athletes. And I know this course and I have also raced in this weather. I raced it in 2022 when I had my breakthrough um, half marathon. And I ended up running a 131.01 that day, which was far faster than um, we were anticipating that day. And I knew it was going to be a great day. And I was just so excited to follow along 
to see how the elite athletes did, but then also how the elevate athletes did. And then of course I had friends running it. Um, and a big shout out, I want to say before I forget to Kristen, to Megan and, um, to Chapin who all absolutely crushed everyone PR'd, not everyone, but the most majority of people PR'd in Houston. And it was just I could feel the energy and the excitement and it was really, really fun to also watch um, the live video and know exactly where people were on the course and what to anticipate. Um, and it was really fun too, because Des Linden was a commentator for a while and it was just really fun to kind of take it in from that spectator side. So there were nearly 30,000 runners this year. There were 28,000 runners, over 60,000 people spectating. So if you're listening to this and maybe you haven't experienced Houston race weekend, I highly, highly, highly recommend that um, maybe you find it in your uh, race schedule for 2025. Now I also hear from the locals though, that every other year is a warm and humid year. And if you followed me last year, you know that I, when I ran it last year, it was warm and humid. And I was on a group chat with some of my, uh, uh, teammates that I trained with, um, with Nell. And, uh, it was just great kind of like reliving a little bit of last year, but then also knowing how strong everyone was running this year and what a big celebration it ended up being. Um, highly, highly, highly recommend the race, especially if you are looking for a PR. If I, I like the time of year it falls. It's a little funky because if you're racing the marathon, peak weekend is over Christmas. Um, so that can be a little funky, but typically everything else kind of falls in line. It's really, really well organized. Um, I thought the app, um, this is my first year using the app to track people because I've always been running. And I thought the app was fabulous, way better than a lot of other races and apps. And, um, and I had one elevate athlete, Chris, uh, who actually didn't track on the app. And when I was running, I was running my long run on the treadmill as this was all going on. I thought you got to wait until at least like what we were kind of predicting with time, maybe add 10, 15 minutes, and then maybe, you know, send a text and see what's going on. Um, because I was afraid of texting him. You know, a lot of athletes carry their phones when they run or when they race. And I was afraid of texting him and he was actually running and then was caught off guard by that, or maybe got him out of a flow or confused him. And I really didn't want that. And it turns out he texted me. He's like, 310 finish. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Chris, I sent him an audio note back right, right away. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just so glad you're okay. And 310 was the egg wall for him for this race. Um, and he, uh, he absolutely crushed it. He's going through a lot of life stress, all good stuff, but it's very stressful. So he was definitely in shape to run something faster. And, and when we had kind of our conversation at the beginning of the week, I asked him, what do you want to do? And that's kind of how we worked off of 310. So 310 was A, and he absolutely crushed it. And he is uh, first marathon. So he definitely has a lot of potential and a lot uh, a lot to uncover about himself. Um, 
but I also had a really great athlete, Tamana, who ran the half marathon and she's coming off of a calf injury. So she ran New York City. She ran New York City for fun, for strength, for completion. And she did that. And then I gave her a very conservative, like we reverse tapered for a full month and she had, I think about five weeks of speed and we only tapered for this race for the week. So she kind of had like a down week that ended up not being a down week after she raced. Um, but she ran almost a two minute PR, which is, I think a huge gain off of a PR from 2021, I believe. And off of very, very little speed work. And then of course we have the Sarahs who ran the marathon and Sarah Holland, Sarah H. She, um, this was her second marathon and she ran a 414 in Austin last year and she had a, about a 22 minute um she had about a 22 minute breakthrough PR and then Sarah A who I've been working with um for about a year and a half she ran Houston last year in uh 430 and then she took off 16 minutes uh this morning and ran a 416. So I guess 14 minutes. So, um, huge day for her, huge day for everyone. And I think what, and I know what makes me so excited about all of this is seeing all the hard work that goes into training and not just with these athletes, but with everyone, right? I think most people train hard, right? You're going to have those people who can kind of like train, you know, mediocrely and like go in and just absolutely crush something. Right. Um, but it's really, really cool to see people put in work for people to be committed, to have a lot of time, a lot of investment, right? There's time investment, there's financial investment, whether you're working with a coach or if you're flying or traveling to a race, or maybe you want the latest shoe, whatever that is. Um, there's the financial piece to it. And there's also the emotional piece that comes with racing and training. And as a coach, I see that time and time again, right? Like today is a great day. It's a great day for everyone because everyone on the team crushed it, right? And that's a great day. And there's a lot of days where that does not happen. And it's a balance of celebrating the people who ran really strong and and being there for the people who need more emotional support around maybe having a tough day, right? I think we can all align and have been there. Um, but today's been a great day. So much fun. It brings so much joy. And um, it's not like this every day. So it's a lot of fun to see a lot of people crush it and get really strong and um, and kick off the year with a really great race. Now, we had some elite women obviously running, and this was kind of a tune-up for them for the trials. So my coach, uh, Nell Rojas, absolutely crushed it. She placed top third American. She took about 50 seconds off of her PR to run a high 108. That is 515 pace, people. And what's so funny is in my notes to her this morning after my run, I said, congratulations on your pace. I you know, just absolutely adore her and just want to like pump her up so much. Like that is basically my stride pace on a great day. And we we always have a good laugh when we compare our paces because it's just so polar opposite and also so fun to see her run and race so strong and so fast. And she is an absolute beast. So she is going to be one to watch in three weeks. Um, 
for the trials. And then Maggie Montoya, she had a great day too. She was running a little bit behind Nell um, for about 109 and a half. And she had a great day. I think she's going to be one that we could watch too um, in Orlando here in three weeks. So it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be an amazing next few weeks of racing and gearing up for the trials and seeing who gets to go to Paris and who gets to represent the United States in the marathon. And I think it's also going to be interesting. And I'd love to hear um, from anyone who wants to participate in this and, and share their insight on this. I'm wondering how many people, when they know they're not placing in the top three, right? Um, because it's more of a competition. Like the, the, the time trials are more of a competition with each other and hanging on to that front pack than it is running a PR, right? You just need to be top three. You don't need to be the fastest or, I mean, you do need to be the fastest, but you don't need to be running your A race if that's not what the competition is doing, right? Um, I think weather is going to be a huge factor. Episode 100, Austin and I had Rick Rojas, who is Nell's dad. He's also um, an amazing coach. He he ran at the elite level and was an amazing athlete back in his day. the weather's going to play a huge factor, and we talk about that on that episode. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the women go out, how fast they go out, and who is in that front pack. And then if you're not in that front pack, when or if you make the decision to DNF. And the reason I think people will do this, and maybe I'm going to be wrong about this, is that if they save themselves, right? You hear that about elite athletes or people going after, you know, maybe a huge goal, right? Like a sub three or an OTQ. And if you're off pace by a little bit, typically that little bit is, it's never, you're never going to find the extra to get it back. So a lot of people will DNF to save their body, to save themselves so they can turn around another race quickly versus that recovery process from the marathon is a wild. There was a very small part of me after CIM that researched, well, there wasn't a small part of me. I researched going to Houston. I felt very unsatisfied at CIM. I still do. It's something that's in the back of my mind. Uh, basically every workout in long run still. And I wanted to like rip something off and like prove something. Um, but one, the weekend turned out to be too expensive last minute. And second, my body wasn't really recovering the way I thought it would off of the time that I ran. And I think that goes to show like when I run hot marathons or warm marathons, usually it does take me a longer time to recover, right? Because your body goes through more stress. It's just a different type of stress than a time stress or an outcome goal stress. So um, the recovery process is huge from the marathon. So point being, if these women can save themselves, I feel like we're going to see more women pop up at Boston. And we're just going to see if that plays out, if that's true or not. Um, Boston is such a great marathon to run. You get great exposure as an elite athlete. I know that Boston also pays these athletes very well. And this is 
for most of them, their full-time job. Now, my coach also coaches um, roughly the same number of people that I coach, which is wild. Um, so she has that. Um, but not all elite athletes have that, right? So sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So it's going to be interesting to really see what happens in three weeks. Um, but that's kind of my prediction. And of course, um, if you're looking for my top three prediction, I'm going to say Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, and Nell Rojas. All right. I have to throw Nell in there. She's already so great, so strong, and she's just the best. All right. So maybe you're wondering what this episode is about today. Is it just about Houston? Um, I thought about maybe shifting gears and only talking about Houston today because I'm by myself and I can do anything that I want to do, right? Um, but no, we're going to talk about the long run today. Um, and I have eight or nine different points about the long run. And I think it kind of segues really, really nicely um, because when you're racing something like a Houston race weekend, it's a half marathon, it's a marathon weekend, that long run is going to be very critical on how your performance goes on race day. If if the long run isn't there, you're going to have a tough time as an athlete racing well. Um, and that long run distance is going to look different for everyone, depending on the distance that you're racing and also your um, your exposure to running. How long have you been running? How many times have you run this this distance, right? The more marathons you run, um, the more, the more your body is willing to be able to go into maybe some slightly longer long runs. Um, you're able to maybe do a little bit more than you were in that first or second cycle, right? Um, so it's going to be a really great conversation before we get into it though. I want to say that I'm getting great feedback from the athletes that I did coach today. Uh, they're all over the moon, which is makes me feel so great as a coach. And um, Sarah says, thanks to your real-time coaching, I felt confident letting letting off the brakes at mile 19 and really leaning into a 10K race to the finish line. I smiled my way to that A++ goal with a huge PR. Thank you for the months you've coached and supported my training. I couldn't have done it without you. Um, I absolutely love hearing that. And she's right. I was on the treadmill today um, running. So I was able to track everyone and I started to text and I don't typically do that. Um, and I always think about the athlete and if that's something that they would want or if that's something that would distract them, right? Like I know I wouldn't want my coach doing that to me. Like I just want to be focused in on what I'm doing and the chips are going to fall where they fall. But I know my athletes really well. And I think um, when the opportunity presented itself to like start texting them, um, knowing they had their phones with them, I started to do it. It was a lot of fun. Um, so for Sarah, she's the one with the 22 minute PR. Um, she, I could tell that she was running very strong. She followed the plan perfectly. And I could, she dropped down in pace at mile 18. She texted me and she said, I feel so strong. And I said, okay, then it's time to trust yourself and just go. And that's what she did. And she dropped down to half marathon pace and finished it out, um, negative splitting the entire race. So to all of that, all of that is to say, I do have one 
one-on-one coaching spot open for spring. So if that is something that you're looking for, if you're looking for, you know, a really solid plan for spring racing, or maybe it's fall racing with Sarah, we started working nine months together, nine months ago, and we worked her cycle from we started out in the summer. We uh, worked a lot of top end speed on effort because she lives in Austin and Texas was atrocious. It was awful, right? It was so, 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 so hot this last summer. Um, and then we transitioned into half marathon training and she ran the Houston mar- half marathon in October. And that was a very warm and humid day. We didn't get the time we were looking for. So she ended up signing up for the Decker half marathon in Austin. Um, it was about four or five weeks ago and she ended up averaging, I think it was 835 pace. And this was on a very hilly course. She had double the elevation gain in 13.1 miles that she was going to be running today at Houston. So I knew that she was going to feel really strong. So I'm really glad that she was able to dip into half marathon pace for that last like 10 K plus. Um, and that she just felt really good and that she was smiling. That's ultimately as a coach, exactly what I want to see. So if that's something that you want, whether it's a spring race or it's a build, like we did with Sarah over the course of like nine months, she gets to run big Sur here in a few, few months. Um, reach out and let's have a conversation and see if it makes sense. All right. Now let's get into the podcast episode. So we're going to talk all about the long run. And like I said, this is going to be one of the most important runs in your training schedule. It is different and unique to all of us based on the load, what distance we're training for, how long we've been training, and really where we are in that training cycle, right? The long run is all about building endurance, right? So that's going to be through our weekly and monthly mileage and then also that long run. And if you are training for the half or the marathon, that long run is going to look different, right? How many, as a marathoner, if you've run a marathon, think to yourself, did you ask yourself why you weren't running 26.2 miles in training? I get that question all the time as a coach, but coach, why, why am I not running 26 miles in training? Well, because that is a very very tough load when you are training and you're stressing your body. There's a lot of easy miles. You have those fast workouts. The long run is still long. It doesn't necessarily go to 26.2, right? It might go up to three hours. Sometimes I'm time-based. It depends on the athlete. Sometimes I'm mileage-based. It also depends on the athlete, 20, 21, 22. If you remember, I had that magical 25-mile long run in my build to CIM. And it was it's all based on where you're at. And I was very surprised at the 25-mile long run that I had in my cycle because I would never give that to an athlete. I know there's some athletes that want it. I know Jason's one of them. Jason, if you're listening to this, it's, I was very excited for it. And when I got into it, I became very unexcited. (laughs) It was hard. It was the hardest thing I think I've done in training, but that's exactly why I got it. And it was something that my coach knew I could do. It was something based on how confident and how well I had been running. And based on the pace inside of that run, we were going to get it very close to three hours. So she was confident 
it was going to be a home run. And it was, but it was very, very, very difficult. And I didn't want to take another step for the rest of the day. <laughs> um, so it's going to look different for all of us, right? Some people going into the marathon might run 16 miles. Some people running the half might have a long run of 10 miles. They might have 13. They might go to that 13.1 just to know that they can do it. And they might go up to 16 or 17, right? When I ran Indy last fall, strongest half I've ever felt. I felt so good. And my long run going into that race, now it was obviously within the marathon build, but my long run was 20. So we didn't go over 20 until after I'm pretty sure we didn't go over 20 until after I raced Indy. And then we had a few like 22, 25s, whatever in there. So, um, so it's a good place to be, right? So we're really looking to build that endurance. So if you're just getting in to running, it can look a lot different than what I just outlined, right? That long run can start out. Let's say you're an athlete running Three days a week, you're running three miles a day. So nine miles a week. You want to add a long run. I would say run three days a week for three miles, two or three weeks. See how your body feels. And then add a fourth day. And that fourth day is going to start at mile like four or four and a half. And then that's going to be your long run. And then you're going to build on it very, very slowly and to see how your body handles it see how it feels, right? The muscular load is huge for the long run. What does it do? It enhances our running economy. Oh yeah, that means we can run faster, easier. Who doesn't want that? I definitely want that. <laughs> it also improves your endurance. It makes you just feel really great. It prepares you to run for hours, just like you will on race day, right? We had people like Chapin, Congratulations, Chapin. Huge PR today, 239. Monster. He is a monster. This guy ran the Boston, I guess it was Chicago Boston back to back during the pandemic. Do you guys remember that? It was in the fall, and Chicago Marathon was on a Sunday, and then Boston was in October on a Monday. Chapin ran both, both sub three back to back days. He lives in the Boston area, so he was able to fly to pick up his bib, fly to Chicago, run a sub three, get on flight, fly home, wake up the next morning, go to Boston, run a sub three. Wild. He just ran a 239. So proud of him. He's a great human, fantastic athlete. You have that you have people running four hour marathons, four and a half hour marathons, five hour marathons, two hour halves, right? 128 for Megan today. She crushed it. You have two and a half hour half, half marathons, right? So you get the, you get the idea. You have to prepare your body to run for hours, whatever that is for you. And you want to train your body to run longer. The long run should really be at a slow, comfortable pace for most athletes. I think we kind of get caught up in the social media world of what we think is normal and what isn't normal. And maybe that's a great episode to record is like, what's normal, what's not normal via social media, right? You see so many things that make, at least I do. I mean, my whole feed is running. There's, it's, it's all running. Maybe a few Labrador posts, but it's all running. 
And it makes it seem like the really tough stuff is normal, like the quality inside of a long run, right? So the long run can be slow. It can be a comfortable pace. Um, It's going to take a while for that long run to feel good if you're just getting started. And once it starts to feel good, like today I had my first 12 after CIM. I'd been holding like 8, 10. No, granted, it was on the treadmill. I had a lot of endorphins flowing through my body because everyone was just running so strong. Um, but today was like 12 felt good. And I was really excited about that because I had a workout yesterday. We're working back on my tempo. So that felt good, right? You want that long run to feel easier and easier over time, whether you are adding distance or maybe you're taking a few weeks and holding distance and then adding a mile, right? Or adding a mile and a half. All depends on where you are in that spectrum, right? All right, so what are some long run best practices? You definitely want to slowly bump up that long run frequency, right? So that's going to be key. You don't want to necessarily jump or run. Let's say you're running an eight mile long run and then you jump to 12. Chances are the, those last three, it could be last four, feel terrible because your body's not used to it, right? If you're coming back from a marathon training, that could be a little bit different. Um, but you really want to slowly build that long run back because look, whether it has quality in it or not, it's stressful. It's its own quality workout. So if you have another workout, maybe it's workout Wednesday or some athletes have two during the week and then a long run. So that's really three workouts in a week. It's, it's stressful in the body, right? When do you run the long run? Most people will run their long run on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. Those are the most popular days, with morning being the most popular time of day to run. Now, there's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be people doing other things, right? Um, Sometimes the long run needs to be on Thursday for whatever reason. Um, Sometimes there's athletes running their long run at night after work. Ah, Not my jam. But kudos to them for doing it. Um, If you're training for a night race, like Tamana, who just ran a very strong half in Houston. She's running London. We're 14 weeks out from London, which is great for her. She has time to recover. and She has a very strong marathon ahead of her. She's also running the Paris Marathon at night, which is taking place over the Olympics in Paris, which is super cool. So do you think I'm going to suggest running some of her long runs at night? (laughs) Tamana, if you're listening to this, you know I am, right? But also set yourself up for success on what works best for you, right? I love mornings. I actually really like waking up, having coffee, having breakfast, letting everything digest, and just getting the long run started. Um, I don't really like having a lot of like gaps in time of like two, three hours between waking up and going out for my long run, but that's going to be totally up to you and what makes you feel comfortable and set you up for success as well as work within what your schedule, your family, your work life, all of those things, right? 
You definitely want to map out your route so you don't run too long or too short. A lot of times I hear athletes say, you know, if they cut their long run short, they're like, but I got back to my car. (laughs) So do an out and back, right? (laughs) You don't want to like set yourself up for success. You can map it out if you feel like if you get back to your car and you still have like maybe a mile or two to go, if that's going to be too tempting, maybe map out your route a little bit better so you don't have that temptation, right? Something I did during my Boston prep last last winter was drop water and snacks on my route. So I think I've talked about this. Um, every Friday I would get a route for my coach. And so I had to build in, I got to build in time in my Friday afternoon schedule before it got dark to go drive the course. So one, I knew where the heck I was running. And two, I really wanted to like take Friday night to kind of visualize like, okay, are we working that downhill? Are we working more uphills? What's the situation like? Are there bathrooms? Like all those things, right? And so before I would start each long run, I would drop water bottles because I think everyone knows by now I'm a heavy, heavy, heavy drinker when I run. (laughs) I'm a heavy drinker when I run. So I dropped extra bottled water. And what I would do is actually just buy bottled water and have the cap secure. So I knew when I picked it up, if the cap was still secure, that no one tampered with it because that can be an issue, right? And then I would tape um, scratch chews to it just to have an option in case when I got to that water, if I needed to refill, that I had a different snack that maybe was a little more bulky that I didn't want to carry with me. So I would drop a few snacks along the way. And then of course, after the run, I'd go back out and like grab it and pick it up. And it was like a whole production, right? Maybe you're running with friends. Maybe you want to run in silence. Maybe you have that epic playlist. Uh, Maybe there's a podcast that you're listening to. Maybe it's going to be a combination of all of that. Maybe it depends on the type of long run that you're doing. Um, But those can all be great options to kind of pass the time, whether you're running, you know, a five mile long run or you're running a 25 mile long run. And you definitely want to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success with having a really great breakfast. As a coach, I often hear athletes, they'll either talk about what they're eating or I ask them and it's either not enough or it's so protein heavy and the carbs are there to really help fuel our glycogen store so we can run fast, we can feel strong and that we really finish that long run feeling strong. That's really ultimately what I want for every athlete, whether I'm coaching them or not, you're listening to this. I want everyone running a long run where they feel strong at the end. No one wants to fade in a long run. Oof. It's like just as bad as, you know, fading in a race. Doesn't feel good. And how you show up on race or how you show up in training um, with your breakfast is really a great way to replicate what you could do on race day which is awesome. And then of course you want to take gels every three or four miles, depending on if you're running easy, I would say every four miles. If you're running with goal pace or quality every three miles. And I think a lot of times runners, okay, runners just under fuel in general. And I would love to see more race kits, more flat athletes on Instagram with eight gels next to them than four. 
four gels in a marathon or five gels in a marathon when you are expending, whether you're Chapin and running a 239, you're Sarah H or Sarah A running a 353, a 416, you're expending a ton of energy and burning a ton of calories. Do you think four 100 calorie gels are going to give you the fuel that you need at the end of the race? It's not. It's not going to do it. Eight might get you through, right? So something to think about if you are thinking to yourself, wait, I only take four gels with me (laughs) during a marathon, or I only take one gel and a half marathon, or I don't take a gel and a half marathon. Thanks. Gels every three to four miles, right? Let's talk about the types of long runs. Now, like I said at the very beginning of the podcast, this is going to depend on what you're training for, right? So the holy grail of long runs is that easy long run, right? Now, this can be prescribed by time on feet or miles. If you're running and training for a 5K, your long run could be 6, 7, 8, 10, 20 miles. It all depends on what's going on in your cycle, right? Um, It could be time on feet for those marathoners, right? Especially if it's an easy long run. It all depends on the athleticism of the athlete and really what, really how fast they are is kind of what it comes down to of like, how fast can they run their long run easy? And can they get 20 miles in three hours? Or do I need to just prescribe three hours and see how many miles they get, right? I have seen marathon training absolutely crushed on race day with a 16 mile long run. So don't get discouraged if that's you. There are ways to kind of set you up for success to be able to still run a very, very strong race. There's just more planning that goes into your full week um, to make sure that you're getting the most out of the training. So you also have that easy long run the day after a marathon workout. Now, this might be for more advanced athletes. It's something that I started doing last year. It's something I really like. Like I mentioned today I ran 12 miles. I felt really good. And then I mentioned that I had a workout yesterday. That's right. That's kind of like the season I'm in right now. And I don't think that's changing. So (laughs) um, I have a workout on Saturday, long run Sunday. And what that does is it gets my body not only running two quality workouts on Wednesday and Saturday, but then on Sunday, I should be running easy miles on tired legs. And what that does is it helps my fatigue resistance. It mentally helps me, especially if my legs are just done, which they were last weekend. I needed to run by myself because I knew it was going to be a a very slow day. Um, And it all kind of depends on where you are, right? As an athlete, if you're a beginner or advanced, but that easy the day after a marathon workout can be awesome. Now, sometimes this is flipped. Some athletes that I've coached know that sometimes I give them a long run and then they might have a 5K at marathon the next day just to practice what that last 5K of the marathon is probably going to feel like. It's not going to feel good. And it's a great way to train the body. But again, this is more for the advanced athlete and not a beginner athlete. If you're training for your first, second, maybe even third marathon, I wouldn't do this. Um Unless you show that you've been running some pretty good mileage, you have some, you've strung some really healthy miles together. Of course, like with anything that I say, 
<laughs> it depends, right? Um, now you might have that long run that has a tempo inside of the long run, right? Ooh, that's a goody one. I really like that one. I had that. You could consider I had that yesterday. I did eight mile long run with four miles at tempo. And because I was on the treadmill, spoiler alert, I changed my shoes after my three mile warm up. And I did a little bit of stretching and the plan was to do this like three minute. It wasn't in my plan, but I thought mm, I'm going to do like a three minute transition just to kind of get comfortable before I start running tempo, which for me right now is about 650. And um, I started out and I thought, oh, this feels too slow. So I just went right into tempo. I didn't do strides, which is a no-no. I didn't do more stretching. I wanted to do much more stretching than I did. And I just went right into it. So sometimes that happens too. Um, but that can be a goodie of a long run. And then, of course, goal pace inside of a long run. Now, this could be at the very beginning of a long run. It could be in the middle. It could be sprinkled throughout the long run. And then, of course, it could be at the end of a long run. And that's going to all depend on the athlete. And really, I would say where their weaknesses are and what's going to set them up for success. And I really like actually being able to give a lot of these types of long runs to every athlete within a training cycle, because one, it keeps it interesting. It really does keep the training cycle moving along. And it's a great way to work different sections of how they're going to show up on race day. Because ultimately, if you can show the athlete, this is my thought process, if I can show the athlete different parts of the long run and what they're capable of, when they go into their race, if it's whatever distance it is, I always chunk it for them, right? We talk about chunking. No one going into the marathon in Houston today was thinking of the 26.2 as a whole. They were chunking it down by 10Ks. And each 10K was shown during training. So they could kind of visualize that. They could feel it. They could really tap into that energy if they wanted to. And that's one of the best ways I think as a coach, I can set athletes up for success is when they can on race day, really like start to put together their training and be like, oh my gosh, I did this on way more tired legs. I can do this today. And oh yeah, I remember doing this other thing and I crushed that. I can do that again today. Or, hey, that was a really hard day, but I was still able to flow through it. And I feel really fresh and strong today. So that's all kind of part of the like the coaching side of things. So that's kind of like some inside baseball. But um, it's a good place to be. Now, you might have that hilly long run, right? What I love about the hilly long run is you could be training for a hilly marathon, right? So I would consider CIM a uh, <laughs> hilly, hilly course. Uh, Boston, Grandma's, all those net downhills are still kind of considered hilly, right? What the hilly long run does is really work on the mechanics, right? So you can work on, you know, hilly can mean a lot of different things. It could be long or short hills. It could be steep hills. It could be inclines, right? So not as steep. I think having a lot of variety in your training is really important. I did not have variety in my training for CIM and I did that on purpose. I didn't want variety. I really wanted strong, confident running each week. And I really felt like if I could do that, and I did run actually a lot on inclines, um, 
that I would be okay at CIM. And I think looking back, obviously it's still on my mind, right? Because I bring it up all the time. Um, as I look back, I think I felt really good through 10, 11 on the hills. And I know the weather was a huge factor for me. So I, it would have been really interesting to see how that mindset of my training of, okay, let's go train on some inclines, declines, inclines, right? Every single long run was basically there until now was like, we need to get you on hills, which was about three weeks out. <laughs> um, having that confident mindset of like, I can do this. I'm going to prove myself right. I have done this time and time and time again. Um, it would have been interesting to see how that worked if the weather was, you know, a little bit cooler. Um, but that's okay, right? Variety is very important. It does teach your body how to run on different terrain and on how to run on that terrain when you're tired, which is going to make a huge difference in the last 10K, right? Your, your, your running mechanics will be different if you're running up a steep hill or an incline fresh. And when you're running up a steep incline or hill tired, it's going to be different. And knowing how you show up in that mindset or in that time is huge as an athlete. So you are kind of prepared on what you're going to face on race day. So there are no surprises, right? We can tr control everything that we can control on race day through our training. And that's one way to do it. Now, another example of a long run is that fast finish long run. I love this. Do you follow me on Strava? I highly encourage you that you do um, because it's a, it's a fun space. I love a fast finish long run if I have goal pace. And my coach has been very supportive of this. It's not something that she's actually written for me. Um, I definitely usually have quality in a long run. So I might have like marathon pace or half marathon pace, but I really like to take that last mile faster if I can. And this spring, at least right now, I have notes in all of my long runs of let's stay within pace, right? Like let's not, let's not do those fast finishes right now. Um, and that's okay, right? I think if you can increase your pace at the end up to like, let's say 30%, right? It's an increase in effort of maybe 10 or 20%, right? But you're running at a higher intensity at a faster pace on tired legs at the end of a long run. Woo, that sets you up to run strong at the end of your 5K, 10K, half or full. Hands down, I have done it. I know it works. Um, but you also have to be an athlete who's ready for it. And if you're not ready for it or really ready for any of these long runs outside of easy, please don't do it because ultimately we want to keep you happy. We want to keep you healthy. We don't want an injured athlete, right? Now, another type of long run is that late morning long run. And this is going to fall in your training. If you're running a major marathon, maybe, you know, Chicago could be the exception. That's why I love Chicago. Start finish line right there. You don't have to wait five hours from wake up to start your race, which feels so good. If you're running Boston this spring, if you're running Tokyo, London, and then of course Berlin in the fall, um, New York in the fall, 
you'll want to simulate that late morning long run in your training. And this typically is going to take place during peak week. I like it during peak week or the peak block for athletes. Um, maybe if it's going to fall in that peak block, that's going to be a three week chunk with a three week taper. So you're looking at, I really like it six weeks out from your long or from race day. Because what that does is it gives you time to fix what doesn't work, right? The last thing you want to do is try this on your very last long run and realize that something doesn't work. And then you're going back to the drawing board and just shooting your shot in the race. And that can be a very scary, very scary thing to do. So I really like this about six weeks out, maybe eight weeks out. Um, I would also maybe add either in this long run or another long run, um, a heavy carb load. Austin has done this in a lot of his preps. I, I think I've done it once or twice. Um, I just eat a lot of carbs in general, so I feel like I don't need to do this in training, but it, when you simulate that carb load going into like a really, maybe it's like a very like hard quality long run or something that you're really um, excited, but also nervous for, which could be like your three hour long run or the longest long run you've ever had performing a carbo load like you would on race day to just see how your body responds to it. Great thing. Now this late morning long run also great. So let's say you're starting 10:30 a.m. Eastern time for the Boston Marathon. Oh, oh, you're probably in wave two, and it's really exciting. But guess what? You're getting on that bus around 7 a.m. Eastern time, <laughs> so you're probably waking up around 5:30, um, which is about a five-hour gap between the time you wake up and the time you actually start running. So I really like adding this to all my athletes who are running their uh, majors because um, we'll simulate it and I'll say, okay, like it, I don't care what time you wake up, but we're going to take about a five hour difference. You're going to eat breakfast like you normally will. We're going to add a snack in, we're going to hydrate and I'm going to send you out on that long run five hours later. We're going to see what happens. Did you show up strong? Did you fade? Did you have stomach cramping? Did you eat too much? Did you eat too little? Did you hydrate well? Did you not hydrate enough? All those things play a huge factor in a late race start. And you really want to have that dialed in. You're already going to be nervous because it's a major, right? And everyone makes such a big deal about a major. It's just like any other race morning, but you also want to be prepared and ready to go, right? Now, how long can the long run be? I've kind of talked about this already, right? It's all going to depend on the on the race that you're that you're running. But really meet yourself where you're at and your potential. You do want to stress your body. You don't want to stress it too much, right? If I would have had that 25-mile long run that I had this last fall at for CIM prep a year before for like Chicago, it would have been way too much. Even Boston prep, it would have been way too much because I wasn't recovering well. Um so it really does make a difference on when and how long you're running. So you got to meet yourself where you're at. If you have a coach, they should know where you're at and where to kind of stress you. And I say should because there's only so much data will tell us as a coach. And I'm such a big believer in like the partnership of coach athlete 
and really leaning into communication and communicating well, communicating often. And as my Elevate athletes know, communicating in the right communication channels for everything makes a big, big, big difference, right? Happy coach, happy life. Is that the saying? I don't know. Something like that. All right. So now you know the types of long runs. Now I want to steer a little bit to the right. We're going to talk about the medium run right now. What is the medium run? You might be asking yourself, I don't know what the medium run is. The medium run, I love the medium run. It's that run that's not the long run, right? Let's say your long run right now is 14 miles because you're in peak for your half marathon. And all of your other training runs outside of the workout are five or six miles. This medium run is going to be in between those five or six mile easy recovery days. And the long run, that might be 14 miles. So it could be eight, could be nine, it could be 10 miles. I got to experience the medium run in CIM um, on the weeks that it made sense. I got 10 miles on a Monday and it made my heart very happy. I loved it. I love running. I am extremely grateful that I have a coach who supports me in that. I'm extremely grateful that I have a schedule that allows for it. And it's something I really love to do, even in the summer, which is saying a lot. So it's that mid, it's that mid, like medium distance run. So it's not meant to take place for one of your easy runs. I think it can, if you're kind of in that state of it all kind of depends on how advanced you are, right? Um, it can take the place of one of your harder workouts. It could incorporate a a, a workout, right? It's going to be a bigger training stimulus on this day than it would be for like, let's say your five or six easier recovery, right? So if you have that bigger training stimulus, it has to be balanced. So when I had my 10 mile medium run, I think I only got it three times. So it was very strategically placed on like when I was able to do it based on kind of what my week looked like. I always have a workout on Wednesday. So we put the medium run on Monday and then we, instead of doing workout Saturday, long run Sunday, we combined that on Saturday. So it was almost like I'd always get a recovery day and then I'd go into something else. Now, the reason I could do this is because I was recovering extremely well during CIM. We're still kind of boggled by how how well I recovered. I don't know if I can repeat that again. I really hope I can, but it's all going to depend on how you, where you are as an athlete, what your workouts look like, what your goal is, what the long run looks like, and if it makes sense for the medium long run, right? Now, it could be 12 miles. It could be up to 16 miles, depending on kind of where you are in that spectrum. If your long run is 22, 24, it could be 16, right? I think ultimately it has to make sense for the athlete's training first and foremost. I think the athlete kind of needs to be on board with it too, because it does take time out of the schedule. And that's kind of the biggest piece to it is that it just takes time. And if you're working, let's say out of an office where you don't have that flexibility to get a 10 mile run in before the workday starts, 
you're probably waking up at, you know, three, three thirty to start running at four AM like Jesse is. You know, Jesse mentioned Jesse last week. Hi, Jesse. Um and Jesse wants to do that or gets to do that. And she loves running, I think, just as much as I do. And it's something that works for her when she has to get up that early for a long run. Um, but it's balancing all of it, right? So really, that could be something to add to your training for a next training cycle or for an upcoming training cycle. Or maybe it's in the back of your mind and it's something that you get to do in, you know, a year and a half, something like that. Um, it, it all depends. It's something I've always wanted to do. And I and I finally got to experience it um, in this last prep. So you never really know when it's going to, when you're going to have the capability to be able to do it, but it is a lot of fun if it's something that's going to fill your cup, right? Let's talk about long run pacing strategies. So I know I fell in this category training for my first marathon. I was like, how fast can I run each long run each weekend? Can I run faster than the weekend before? Okay, now take a step back. Have you fallen in this category? I think many of us have. It's something that doesn't even, I don't even think about that anymore. I, all I think about in terms of my long runs is how good I feel. I just want to feel good. And I don't even care what pace comes in. I just want to feel good. A few weeks ago, I ran with two of my, um, friends slash training partners and we ran like 840 pace for 10 miles. Today I ran 12 miles at nine. Last weekend I ran 10 miles at like 940, right? So it's all over the place. I just want to feel good. And that's a great place to be, right? So setting a personal best isn't setting a personal best each weekend isn't going to serve you. It's probably going to, you're probably going to get injured Um, or it's going to become frustrating. You're not going to recover fast enough. So it's going to impact workouts. Like it's a whole domino effect, right? I always encourage athletes to start slow, especially if you're not taking time to do leg swings, hip openers. I think I'm pretty transparent about this. I don't warm up before running. Um, I just don't. And I think it's because if you've run with me, if you've looked at my splits on Strava, you know I start out slow. I jog. I jog. Even on a long run, I jog. And it doesn't support me to run with anyone who wants to like fly out of the gate <laughs> because I'm not going with you. I'm going to start slow. And I take like two, three miles to really warm up. Start slow. I guarantee you, if you can start slow, you're going to finish strong. And if you've noticed my racing, my racing also is a slight progression, just like all my long runs, just like even my easy days. It all kind of formulates and translates together, right? The more you practice in training, the more it's going to translate on race day. Start those first few miles really slow, like a jog. Take your gels every three, four miles. Keep your heart rate kind of in that zone one, zone two, aerobic zone, whatever your intention kind of is for that day. If you start slow, you're going to finish strong. Effort for long runs should be around three out of 10 on the RPE scale. I absolutely loved the whole Taylor Swift training for the Eras Tour. Um, news headlines. 
That was mega, right? Everyone was talking about it. And I'm like, where has everyone been? This is what I have been saying since I started coaching. (laughs) You want to be able to sing out loud while running your long runs without gasping for breath. So Taylor Swift, if you're not familiar, she has a three hour and 17 minute eras tour that she trained for by running three hours every day on the treadmill. She would sing her songs out loud. If it was a fast song, she would up the pace. If it was a slow song, she would walk or jog very, very slowly to train her body to be able to produce everything that she produced in the era's tour. If you haven't, if you weren't able or lucky enough to be able to go to a show, I know the tickets like sold out immediately and then they were like uber expensive. Her era's tour is available to rent for 1989, which is also the year she was born, which is super cute. Um, and I got to watch it with uh, some friends and um, this was probably, I think it was the weekend it came out. Oh my gosh. It's so amazing. So if you want to have a big smile on your face, definitely spend the 1989 to watch this. You get 48 hours to watch the three hours. So it's amazing. Um, but you want to be able to sing out loud on your long runs without gasping for breath. So I was running my long run today, 12 miles and first athlete finishes Tamana. She ran the half marathon and we were joking on her race strategy call on Thursday about FaceTiming me during the race or when she crossed the finish line because one of my teammates FaceTimed Nell as he crossed the the New York City finish line um, because he had a a breakthrough race. And I thought that was so cool. And we were like making, you know, like joking about it. Like, oh, wouldn't that be funny if you did that? Well, she sure enough called me, (laughs) which was amazing because it's like, it's so fun to like, hear the energy and then you hear people screaming in the background and like all the things. So we talked for a few minutes and she had no idea that I was running on the treadmill based on my conversation with her, how I was breathing. That's what you want. You want to be able to call your friend, to call your mom, to sing out loud to Taylor Swift and no one knowing that you're actually running. That is true aerobic, right? Pacing strategies, if you have quality in the long run, woo, you want to make sure those easy miles before you get into quality or pace work, right? So quality is going to be pacing that's faster than easy. So if you're running, um, let's say you're training for a 5K, 10K, that could be like some pickups. Um, If that could be like 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute, two minutes, something like that at 5K, 10K pace. Quality for the half could look like half marathon pace, right? Um, and then quality for the marathon, it's going to be marathon pace, maybe cutting down a little bit to half marathon pace, depending on how advanced you are. Um, you want to take those, uh, early miles as easy as possible. So you have enough gas in the tank to be able to go and flow through that quality. Um, slower is always better right out of the gate, no matter what, really. Um, sometimes for more advanced athletes, they, you might see, it's something I've had in training. It's like a one mile warm up going into straight into marathon pace. What that is, it's it's my coach training me. Some of the elevated athletes have had this too. She asked, she actually asked me to change my shoes. She's like, wear your trainers for a mile. Stop, take a gel, change out your shoes, 
go right into goal pace. And then we'll like alternate between like moderate goal pace, that sort of thing. What we're doing is we're practicing race day. I have a one mile warm up on race day, change my shoes, go right into marathon pace, get the aerobic system ready to go. And I was actually talking with an athlete, Megan, this week about how tough it's been. And I coach more than one Megan, by the way. So if you're Megan listening, you're like, this isn't me. It's because I coach more than one. Um, she's having a hard time getting right into marathon pace from easy pace, right? And I've had other athletes say this too, Danielle, Sarah, I coach five Sarahs. Um, so there's always that mile that can be like that transition mile, right? So you can have that slow, easy five miles, whatever it is, warm up. If you're going straight into quality and it's really tough to do that, take a transition mile, which is in between easy and what you're striving to get to. Um, very early on working with my current coach, I would actually just take that first quality mile and like warm up into it to get through it. Um, and then also if you're wearing a heart rate strap, if it's something that you're really, um, something that you're training, like your heart rate training, something I like to do as a coach is like take from the 20 minute mark all the way through the end of that easy long run. Now this only applies for easy running. And I take a look at what that heart rate drift is. If it's 5% or lower, that is a beautiful long run. And if it's higher than 5%, the athlete pushed too hard. And then I know they're going to need more recovery or they can't do maybe what the workout is already designed for next week. So then I get to go in and, and reformulate it. So it works for that athlete, right? Setting them up for success. It's what it's all about. If we have to change something. It's really for the best intentions, right? If you need to change something on your own because you're self-coached, great, do that. Ultimately, you want to meet yourself where you're at and set yourself up for success so you just feel so good and confident and ready to go. Do you have questions on how to schedule your 2024 racing season? Are you training for a race, but you don't know the right way to structure your peak weeks or your taper or your race morning or even your race progression? Do you have general run and training questions? Coaching consults with Coach Sarah are now available. These consults are 30 or 60 minutes of time dedicated just for you. This is training cycle and plan guidance, pre-race strategy, race debriefing, goal setting, and more. 2024 is the year of you elevated. Book now on calendly.com forward slash elevate your running. And I look forward to chatting with you soon. Now back to our episode. We talked about fueling, how to fuel the long run. Gels, every three to four miles, always. I took three gels today on my 12 miler. Easy. Why not? Makes me feel strong. Can finish feeling really good. I cut down. Started at 9.13 pace, cut down to 8.49 by the end. I felt good. Tamana didn't even know I was running. <laughs> right? And when I say take a gel, take a full gel. Right? If you're taking 
chews, take a full packet of chews. For whatever reason, the cliff blocks are like the one, like they're kind of like blocks of gels, right? Gelatin. And it's like the one thing, it's the one product out on the market where athletes are like, oh yeah, I take one block every five miles, which is like 33 calories, right? We're really trying to like train the stomach to take in as much as possible, right? I take a, I take the spring energy gel, awesome sauce every three miles, every 5k, whatever, when I'm racing. Sometimes I'll take a Morton calf gel, depending makes a big difference. You also want to hydrate well, right? Sips of water every mile, take those electrolytes, train the body, get ready to go. All right, now here are some mistakes that are made during long runs. Not fueling enough, right? We just talked about that. You really want to prep for rest for race day. So what you do in training is how you're going to show up on race day. Prep that stomach. The hydration piece, carry the handheld, carry the backpack or drop your bottles. Do whatever is going to, one, set you up for success in training, but then two, what you're simulating on race day. So for CIM, I carried a handheld. It was something that I had been practicing all summer long. So I knew I was going to be able to do it. I knew I could pick really like run pace while here carrying a handheld, right? You want to feel confident in whatever you're doing on race day to make sure that you know that strategy works for you. Don't decide the night before that you're going to wear a hydration vest and you've never practiced it before. Those hydration vests can chafe. They can rub and it does not feel good, right? A handheld can just be so annoying if you're not used to it. You have to and get to practice it, right? You don't want to go out too fast. I've seen people go out way too fast on long runs and then they bunk and they can't either finish the long run or they can't execute the workout or there's something else going on. And then that just doesn't feel good. None of us want that, right? You don't want to go out too fast and not be able to produce and feel good at the end. The more you, the, the more weeks you can string, like the long runs feeling good, feeling confident the better you're going to feel going into taper for sure, right? The other thing that comes with not fueling enough is that you typically are going to be tired for the rest of the day. I did this for many years. I underfueled for many years, many years. I worked with a sports dietitian actually during the pandemic, which was kind of weird. Um, but I thought it would be a good time to kind of like get things dialed in because my running felt terrible. I mean, I was definitely under fueling, which was part of it, but it was also the immense stress I was under given like the pandemic, my living situation, um, all of my running camps getting canceled and not really knowing what to do. I wasn't coaching anyone. Zero income. That is very scary, right? Um, you might have an upset stomach. That's from dehydration, right? So each week is a really great way to practice these areas. So when you finish your long run, you're able to refuel your shower, and then you can do whatever you want. If that's going to be lay on the couch, great. If that's running around chasing your kids, great. You're going to have enough energy to do it. Ultimately, that's what you want to. The long run is also a great time to visualize. Mindset is a huge piece to the long run, right? 
flow through the uncomfortable parts of the long run, which could just be a mile or two. It could be that goal pace that doesn't feel good. I've been there, right? You get to learn to train your mind to shift when things get hard. If you can continue to do that in training, when it starts to feel hard, because for most people, it will on race day, instead of the negative self-talk, you're able to very quickly flow into positive self-talk and build yourself up. Something that really didn't work, though, (laughs) is at CIM for the last uh, 10K, it's flat. The course is flat. For me, it felt like I was running on an incline. So that's kind of how my day went, right? And I kept telling myself, you're running flat, you're running flat, you're running flat. And I even tried to visualize it. I did get a little bit faster. So it did work. But it wasn't a great translator, right? Another time that's worked really well was at Indy when the pace was like feeling kind of hard and it was humid. It was like humid at the start of the race and then like the humidity dropped, um, which helped for sure. Um, And uh, oh, side note, I can run in humidity, everyone. It's just when (laughs) the temperatures are warm and there's humidity, that's when I can't run. (laughs) So, um, I mean, I can run. It's just not the pace I want to run. And I told myself, because Indy's flat and I trained on some flat routes, I put myself back on those routes. And I was like, there in Boulder running these routes. I wasn't in Indy. People talk about the wind in Indy. I didn't feel the wind. I didn't, I didn't even know it was windy. I was so into my focus and what I was doing and the positive self-talk and the proving yourself right, taking every mile in. There was a time that it felt like I was in Boulder. Like that flipped everything. And my splits show that I was able to have a very strong last four mile of that race. Right? So if you're running the marathon, if you're training for a marathon this year, typically the long run is going to be up to three hours or, you know, slash it depends. I don't know if I'm training for a marathon this year. I have one kind of picked out for the fall, but I'm not really excited to go. (laughs) We'll see if that changes. Um, So there might be, there might not be a marathon this year and that's okay. If there is a marathon, I'm probably running three hours in my long runs, which could translate depending on how much quality is in the long run. It could translate to 22 miles, 24 miles, right? Someone just starting in the marathon, it could translate to 16, 18, 20. doesn't matter. The reason it's three hours is studies have shown that there is actually more harm than good that happens after three hours. Your risk as an athlete for the injury is astronomically higher. It fatigues your body more without any true real benefit, right? If you're training the half marathon, you could run anywhere between 10 and 16 miles. But again, if it's in a prep for a marathon, you might've run 20. And then of course, 5k, 10k training, you could run anywhere from 
over the 5k distance. Ideally for any athlete I'm coaching, I'd really like them around that eight to 10 mile long run for the 5k. And then if they're running the 10k, 10 miles minimum up to 16 for sure. The longer the long run, the better the athlete's going to feel on race day. Kenzie agrees. (laughs) All right. So with that, that is the long run episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. I hope you learned something. I hope there was this aha moment. I think a lot of times on these podcasts, uh, I always throw these like tips in, these random tips that have like nothing to do with like maybe the actual podcast episode, but it's just some like random thought that comes that kind of like just translates, right? So I really hope that you found some value today. I really hope that it makes you take a second to think about how you approach your long run and see what you're doing right and maybe assess like what could be better with the long run. And that could maybe be one of your process goals or the process goal for spring. And that could be a really cool needle mover for you to show up strong and confident and happy on race day, right? All right. So thank you so much for listening today. I totally appreciate you. Austin and I appreciate you. The podcast is growing. We have quite a few new listeners each week, which is really exciting to us. We appreciate you so much. Um, I also really appreciate everyone who's reaching out over Instagram. If you don't follow us on social media, Instagram is Elevate Your Running. My personal Instagram is Sarah, S-A-Y-R-A-H Runs Happy. Uh, Feel free to follow, DM, engage in conversation. Um, If there's something you don't like about the podcast, I'd love to know. If there's something you love about the podcast, would also love to know that. And um, I hope you have a great week of running and we will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. There are a myriad of ways for you to help support the Elevate Your Running podcast. We release new episodes every Thursday morning. Don't miss an episode. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and listen to the latest episodes as they become available. But don't forget, you can share your favorite episodes on social media. Tag at Elevate Your Running and we'll be sure to reshare your post. Rate and review through your favorite podcast channel, either through Spotify or Apple. And lastly, you can be part of our monthly subscribership where a small monthly donation will help Austin and I elevate this podcast and take it to new new levels in the coming year. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week.